Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Perseverance Podcast. My name is John Thompson. I'm the senior pastor of Sanctus Church, and I'm joined once again with my good friend, Holly. Hey, Holly. Hi. How are you today? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Great. Glad you're here also. Uh, yeah, we had um, a, a good time with episode one. We did. Basically the foundation of uh, why we do what we do as a local church and how it's way beyond our local church. Yeah. You could almost call it the bias behind our philosophy of ministry. Yeah. And um, anyway, glad to do that. Today, different conversation. It is a different conversation. And um, I was a little, I don't know if I'd say nervous is the right word for this one, but uh, I find that in Christian podcast world, which mm. is good, great, terrible, and awful, depending on where you're at, I find a lot of Christian leadership podcasts talk about what we're going to talk about today. Mm. Like it's sort of the, oh, we're going to do this again. Yeah. But um, not saying, oh, we have something unique. <laughs> it's not like that. But um, I think our conversation today is going to be very significant to a lot of listeners if they choose to listen to the whole podcast, which yeah. I realize not everyone does. And you might want to move it from two speed down to normal speed. Uh, <laughs> just calling you out. out John there. just talks on two speed anyway. I talk on two speeds, exactly. So come on now. You're not you have to put him down to like 0.5 just to get like what a regular person talks that, like. That, you're so right. We've worked together for a while. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk today about... A mission and vision and cultural vision. Yeah. And I know that everyone talks about this. The The thing that I think is missing in so many of those really good podcasts and talks is actually a long-term perspective in one environment. Mm -hmm. But deeper than that, what's the role of the Holy Spirit yeah. in all of this versus just straight sort of like CEO, corporate. Good ideas and good structures and all of the things that make logical sense. Right. And again, not anti-logic here and yeah. believe in all this stuff, but also really concerned, especially in the Western church of some stuff that is missing. So yeah. uh, Holly and I are going to have a conversation today about uh, mission and vision specifically yeah. uh, about our run here. I think there's a lot we have to offer, but then also out of last week's or last time's episode, how our bias towards understanding Jesus affects this process. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so. And I'm in a unique position here because you are the visionary for our church. Yeah. You are the senior pastor who is giving vision. And by being a pastor uh, serving on your staff, like I am the one to receive vision. So uh, it, so it's interesting. And I, I'm steeped in this as we're, we're talking through it in our local context. But I do think it's a bigger conversation of, yeah, how do you take this and put it in your context too? But um, you have just celebrated... 25 years Crazy. in one context at Sanctus. Yeah. Wasn't called Sanctus when you got here. No, it was not. And we have a lot of church history just in our in our church. So yeah. why don't you walk us through kind of just a short uh, history lesson of Sanctus and just, just mostly with your position role. Yeah. So interesting. I joined this church when I was uh, in, just in senior high. So, Crazy. Which is a, so I've actually been in this church 33 years. Wow, um, yeah. Give or take. So I think I came here when I was 14. Just a really cool middle schooler. Yeah, well, I was not cool, <laughs> trust me. Uh, not even in the vocab. But um, yeah, I've been on staff for 25 years. Uh, I joined unexpectedly as the youth pastor. The youth ministry grew to include like young adults, college and careers as it used to be called. Right, right. Junior C &C. high, yes, yeah, C&C. Junior high exploded 
first major run, senior high, even pre-adolescent stuff like grade five and six is moving that out of, out of children's ministry historically. Yeah. Like all of that, then unexpectedly at 30 years old, became the senior pastor of a church of just around a thousand. Unexpected seems to be the, uh, the theme here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of expected, unexpected sovereign stuff we'll talk about. And I've been in this role with varying shapes and sizes yes. uh, since 2005. Crazy. Yes, it is crazy. Wow. And so through where your or where your role is now, uh, you talk a lot about these two buzzwords that we talk about a lot at Sanctus. Yeah, yeah. Prompting and planning. And that mm-hmm. seems to be kind of the DNA that, you know, I don't know, makes is is the birthplace for a lot of what we do at our church is that prompting piece and that uh, planning piece. And so why don't you talk us through that? Yeah, so uh, if you didn't hear episode one, you need to go back and listen to that, unless, of course, you've read Convergence or listened to some of our sermons, because the buzzword or the phrase, like you said, prompting and planning, is absolutely epicenter to what we are. So basically, here's our position. Um, Jesus... Uh, did nothing except what the Father told him to do, Mm -hmm. which begins to model this um, understanding that Jesus was a permission-based ministry person. Yeah. And so to use an Old Testament phrase, I need to go inquire of the Lord is an old way of saying it. Mm -hmm. We went, oh my goodness, in all our structure and our size, and we're trying to do all these good things for the kingdom. We should actually systematically inquire of the Lord to see if he'd speak. Yeah. And that's the prompting piece, which absolutely is dependent on, first of all, believing God still speaks. Yeah. Uh, second of all, it's based on spiritual disciplines, silence, mm-hmm. solitude, communal discernment, right? All that stuff. Yeah. It's also based on spiritual gifts. Yeah. All that stuff we talked about in episode one. And so the idea is to rhythmically ask the Lord, are you saying anything and this is critical, and we'll talk about this in a, bit, a little bit more, mm-hmm. uniquely to our church. Yeah. And if he does speak, which, by the way, he doesn't always speak because he's not a genie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always get nervous when pastors saying God is always speaking, God is always yeah. speaking, we're not listening. Uh, yes, that's true on one level with the scriptures. It's not on demand. Uh, he is not on demand. <laughs> that is an awesome way of saying that. And so if he speaks and there's something for the church that becomes a place for us where we move from contemplative, charismatic listening people mm. to hardcore, strategic planning, HR, Gantt chart people. Yeah. And what I find in most churches, it's either one or the other, mm-hmm. and they tend to view each other as the enemy. Yeah. And it's actually um, gift tension, which we'll talk about in another episode later, but it also is about ordering. So it's not saying that the gift of administration, as an example, it's not. It's about where that fits in the order. Totally. So for us, around mission and vision specifically, prompting and planning is non-negotiable. And in our planning cycle even here, yeah. uh, we literally, every year when we build a plan, uh, departments will go away, sites will go away, I and others will go away, and there's a, comp- there's, a, there's a prompting component that turns even into annual planning. Yeah. And God doesn't always speak, but when he does, what a difference it makes to our, our church. Oh, totally. Massive. 
Do you have anything like that, even just from these past couple years coming out of COVID, where you've seen just the beautiful mix of, okay, here's a prompting, and then we had to get to work, do some planning around yeah. it, and that's how it came to fruition? Uh, yeah, there is. I, I think we might touch on this when we do one or two episodes on prompting, planning, and preaching. Mm. Uh, but like, I found it so wild that, um, so I sat before the Lord, and there's a whole how we discern, you know, some of you are like, what's going on with this podcast? Just, <laughs> it's going to work out in time. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, our guardrails and accountabilities and all that. Totally. But uh, just before the pandemic, I went before the Lord and asked, do you want to say anything to the church? Mm-hmm. And clear as day, the Lord spoke. And it was so wild. He said, I want you to preach through Second Timothy on faithfulness during really difficult times. He said, I want you to speak out of Exodus in three different points about, uh, I want you to speak out of uh, how I'm an unchanging God how to basically survive in the wilderness, and there was one other. And then he says, I want you to preach out of Philemon mm-hmm. on race, uh, uh, money, slavery, and kingdom. And and so this was all given pre-pandemic, and then we went into the pandemic in March, and this was the preaching calendar for starting the following September. Insane. And so and it was all built out, and everything from um, what happened in the States with a, a murder and then what happened within the you know, across the globe about racism, literally within a month and a half, we had already planned to speak out of Philemon. Now, everyone got angry, and we'll talk about this later, because when we went through Philemon, uh, no one agreed with where it landed. Mm. But it was so intriguing, the Lord had prepared us to biblically speak from his view into a cultural moment, and we weren't reacting, we actually were just following the Spirit. Mm. So much more to that about preaching. We'll talk totally, about that. Yeah. But that's like a really uh, wild example. Or even even the other one that comes to my mind is the launching of our fourth location. Mm. We were going to go to Toronto. And then there's a whole story of how the Lord told us not to go to Toronto through a prompting moment. Mm. And then we launched our fourth location. And then the pandemic had happened. Yeah. And if we had been in Toronto, we would have lost, lost the fourth site. Totally. Anyway, stuff, stuff like that. I just think it's interesting because there's probably people listening who are thinking about, okay, how do I go about this in the future? Like, what would that look like? But I think what's interesting is from hindsight, you can see the way that prompting and planning, you see how God lines things up, protects your church, moves your church this way, that way, like how he leads and guides. So I think it is it is really interesting. But I know that out of prompting and planning, you've introduced these these two ideas that are common script, again, for, for our community, and that is common faithfulness and unique assignment. So can you get into that for us? Million percent. Let's go. <laughs> I love this. And, and this was born out of a lot of thinking and on-the-ground experience while preaching and leading. Yeah. And... You know, you you you, <laughs> you do ministry with me, so you know there are certain things that I always bang drums on, and one of them is expectations. Mm-hmm. Like if your expe- if you overpromise or underpromise, it's just death. Yeah. So it's it's like Goldilocks. What's too hot? What's too cold? Yep. What's right in the middle? Mm-hmm. And we don't always get this right as leaders. But let's let me slow down and work this through. Most churches around the world believe basically there's one way to do church, and I label it common faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's really good and needed, and everyone does need to do it. So common faithfulness to me is made up of two components. It's based out of Acts chapter 2, and, you know, there's a ton of pastors listening to this. So you've, you've preached Acts 2, 42 through 47, yep. sort of the blueprint. And we say here all the time, it doesn't matter the size, the denomination, bells and smells, speaking in tongues, hymns, big, small, mega church, house church, the components that you find and Acts chapter 2 are non-negotiable to a church. So, you know, we say this all the time, like teaching, community, communion, prayer, the presence of God, giving, loving the poor, large gathering, small gathering, baptism, evangelism. 
got to do that thing. Mm-hmm. The other one is rooted in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, you know, at the end of, uh, uh, at the end of his earthly ministry, where he says, you know, you go into all nations, uh, right? Making disciples of all ethnic groups, baptizing mm-hmm. them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So common faithfulness is a combination of Acts chapter 2 and Matthew 28. Mm-hmm. And you got to do those things. Yeah. And they're going to look very different in different churches, but those things have to exist. And those are awesome they're blessed by God and they're right and they'll be rewarded on judgment day. Yeah. Great. The question I started asking was, is there anything beyond common faithfulness? Hmm. And most people go, nope. And I'm like, no, I totally disagree. (laughs) Uh, And the reason why is because all through the scriptures, you basically start seeing God speak to leaders. And so let me put it like this uh, and we'll unpack this a little bit later. Attach common faithfulness with the word mission Mm -hmm. and attach unique assignment with the word vision. We'll get that in a second, but let me just keep unpacking this. So a unique assignment is, does the Holy Spirit through Christ give us the will of the Father situationally for a church or a movement for a season? So this, this is incredibly important. So all through the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven congregations very differently. Yeah. He doesn't speak across. Uh, mission, I say all the time, is given to everyone. Yeah. But vision or unique assignments are given to leaders. Moses, go do this. Philip, go there. When we were fasting and pray, praying, the Spirit said. And so um, what's so intriguing is sometimes, not all the time, God gives a local church or a kingdom movement a unique assignment, which usually happens, by the way, in a prompting moment. Mm -hmm. And so if the Lord speaks, that becomes the inception point, right, for a dynamic vision for a period of time. And why that matters is because then you actually know what your church is not just commonly called to, but what you're specifically assigned to. And when you're given a unique assignment, it doesn't remove common faithfulness. It actually adds to it. Mm-hmm. And you, you got need a to double do, portion. Yeah, that's, yeah, and double responsibility. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you got to do both. And that has become the foundation for how we deal with mission, vision, strategy. And then we'll talk about cultural vision in a minute. Mm-hmm. And when I hear a lot of Christian leaders talk about this, I don't hear this language anywhere. Mm. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like here at Sanctus? Yeah. Um, how far do you want me to go back? I suppose that's a question <laughs> I'm thinking in my head. I'll start like this. Mission is basically the same everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. We all have the same mission. So whether I go to a Baptist church down the street or a Pentecostal church or a high Anglican church, if they're Orthodox and faithful and, and love the scriptures and creedal in the truest sense of the word then we all have to, you know, ours is, you know, is, um, is connected to all ages yeah. and all nations, making fully devoted followers. Like, mm-hmm. that should be transportable anywhere. Yeah. And it is. You know, someone said to me once, mission is motherhood. They didn't mean that insultingly. They just meant motherhood is everywhere. It's a global thing. Right. And so I think mission is the same. We have the same mission as every church on earth. Yeah. Period. Visions have shelf lives like bread. Mm. And visions should be replaced by other visions in time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes visions are achieved. And sometimes, by the way, they're not because of the rebellion of the people mm-hmm. or the hard, hardness of the people. Or sometimes they're resisted by the demonic, which we'll talk about in another episode. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they are done. But they, 
if they're assigned, then the vision should come from this. There are three places where visions come from, um, and it's the same in preaching. Felt needs, we didn't, we know what we think we need to do in our area because there is this need. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of people are like, oh, we should build a vision out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other people are like common faithfulness is the vision and mission and we're done. Mm-hmm. And then we would say, actually, no, we think way beyond felt needs. God's perspective of our assignment is way more important even than felt needs. Mm-hmm. So we work it out there. And so in our church uh, history, there's, um, I'm mean, going to watch the time, but basically <laughs> um, when I became senior pastor in 2005, I was mm-hmm. 30 years old. And uh, churches are around 1,000 people. So think about that. In the early 2000s in Canada, that's crazy. And we had no vision. Our mission statement was half together, and we had no unique assignment, and we didn't even know how we got this big. We didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And so there was a series of events that happened in my own personal walk with Jesus that formed what was coming. Uh, and two of the large ones were, um, and I'll tell them quickly, in 2004, uh, I was doing my devotions. There was two devotional moments that changed my life and this church's so trajectory. So do your devotions. So do your devotions. Yeah, that's right. They're guaranteed places of encounter. Write that down. Um, uh, so one of them, I was just doing normal day, boring day, nothing profound, no Gabriel, no fire, just you know doing the thing. And there was a thing called Missions Fest in Toronto, and that was like a gathering of mission organizations. And I'm a missionary kid, and I'm like fifth generation, and I, I just was like, I don't. It's not my jam anymore. I just yeah. so done with the booths and all that. And, and the Holy Spirit said, John, you have to go. And I said, no, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And, and he got pretty insistent. It was, um, he said, you're going. And I, and I'm like, no. And he's like, and not only you're not going, not only are you going to go, you have to go listen to one person. And he, and I looked at the schedule, I pulled it up, I think, or something. And I immediately knew he wanted me to hear this, um, this pastor from South Korea who I didn't like. Mm. And I was like, well, he's sort of health and wealth and I don't like this. And he's like overtly Pentecostal and I'm great with my Pentecostal friends, but this guy's like over the edge. And I, and I listen and the Holy Spirit's like, you are going. And I'm like, okay. So I went and he spoke this message and it was fine. And um, while that was happening, um, he said, basically the phrase was something like, what is the Lord asking you to do? And right when he said it, the Holy Spirit said, John, I want you to pray for 10,000 people in your church. And I was like, no, <laughs> uh, I'm Canadian. I don't, mega churches are hated in reasons. Canada. Uh, this, I'm not the senior pastor, you know, and I fought him. And what I didn't share with our church when I shared this story recently was um, my wife uh, was sitting beside me and then a good friend of mine who now lives in Rwanda uh, was sitting beside me. And then my parents showed up and they never do. And they sat behind me and my wife and... Uh, but more my friend, uh, and then my mother, who is like the most like down to earth. We love Pat. Yeah, but very not charismatic. Yep. Basically said, whatever the Lord said to you, you better obey. Wow. And I was like, well, I think I swore in my head. I won't sit on the podcast. <laughs> and so I prayed. Now, this is 2004. I'm the youth and young adult pastor, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I prayed not. and I was like, this is so weird. And like everyone wanted to be a mega church back then because it was the thing. And I'm like, this yeah. feels so icky. And then I was doing my devotions again, and then I was in the book of Genesis. I think it's Genesis 41. It's when Joseph gets out of jail, Mm. and I was reading it, and I had probably one of the most profound encounters I've had with Jesus. And it's like the Holy Spirit walked into the room. I can remember it was in the front lobby, and he said, you will be the senior pastor of this church by 30, just like Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt. 
And he said, and you'll actually have three children in seven years. And we couldn't have children, by the way. And he said, and you will feed the world. You will talk to the world about me. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) like, it's a Tuesday. And not only that, like what? I love what I'm doing. And the senior pastor's not going anywhere. And with, and literally within six months without saying anything, the senior pastor said, the Lord's told me to leave. He looked at me. You're supposed to lead. The staff said, we agree. The elders agree. I became the senior pastor by 30. We did have three children in seven years, which is insane because we couldn't have children. Um, and I mean, that that's miraculous. And now we're doing a podcast and preaching all around the world. Like, it's all happened. Uh, the point is, those two things, when they approached me to become senior pastor, I said to them, the Lord has asked me about reaching 10,000 people. And if you think it's the tacos or it's my agenda, then I don't want to be senior pastor. And so they prayed and said, no, we think the Lord's spoken to you. Mm. And there's a lot more to this. Yeah. But three generations of staff and elders evaluated uh, the idea before we went fully public with the vision statement. Mm. And so the mission got clarified. We did a lot of work on this. You know, we introduced the phrase to glorify God because God was not central. Right. Uh, we talked about, you know, who are the people we want to make fully devoted? We started talking about irreligious people, spiritual people, people from other faiths. Uh, in my very first vision talk I gave in 2005, uh, I started clarification where I talked about geography, we're not just a community church, we're a regional church. Right. And then I said, we are going to become a church of thousands. I was setting the trajectory. But it was all the way in 2010 that we finally uh, um, walked through and said out loud, we've been asked to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. And that was rooted in prompting, tested multiple times. Right. And then out of that vision, after 2010, that's when we introduced Plan 1 and started building literal bridges for people to say, I can start getting there. Mm-hmm. And we moved from one service to two services to uh, one site to two sites to three sites to four sites, down to five sites. We were going to be launching another five sites pre-pandemic and lots of stuff has happened. Yeah. But we've we've had easily over 10,000 people uh, genuinely connected to our church also since 2005, easily uh, connected and people have moved and planted churches and died and all mm-hmm. that. But, um, but like an incredible story, but it started in prompting. So we are very clear about mission mm-hmm. and we're very clear about vision mm-hmm. and we're clear where it came from and how it was tested. And what we should do, I should just say this, Holly, is we will attach on this podcast the sermon I gave yeah. that outlines this in depth Totally. So you can go hear the whole story because yeah. we're just talking about mission and vision uniquely here. Yeah, totally. You know, you've mentioned that God calls us to common faithfulness and unique calling. And I know for our church, our unique calling is that vision of the 10,000. And uh, I know that when that was released out into the world, people had lots of different opinions about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's scary launching vision out into the world. Um but we also have this unique calling uh, culturally for our vision as well. And so I just was wondering if you could you could jump into that for us. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting how things evolve. And if the, people listen to the sermon that will attach, they can hear this, where mission got clarified yeah. and realized it was common to everyone. And then we started introducing the idea of prompting and planning to our church, which was foreign. Mm-hmm. And then started introducing gifts and disciplines, which were foreign. And then suddenly how that actually coalesced around how we were given vision, mm-hmm. keeping and acting like Jesus, getting permission, which then led to planning. And so there was like this 2005 moment. Then there was this 2010 moment. So you think about the years of this, right? Uh, and then there was a 2015 moment. Mm-hmm 
where not only was vision clear, plan one had happened, we had all these things. But the other question that I kept wrestling with was what I'll call cultural vision. Yeah. So um, let me break it down like this. Mission is assigned to everyone. Vision is actually where you think the Lord is taking you. It's God's decision of what the ark is going to look like or what the promised land is. And uh, you know this as a site pastor and you've had other uh, roles here. One of the things that's amazing about having a clear endpoint is, and makes life very difficult too, is it allows you to say a lot more no's than yeses. Yeah. And it also helps staff evaluate if the thing they want to do is going towards that thing. Right. So that that's really helpful. It also uh, undoes civil war. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just stop here and then I'll talk about cultural vision. Uh, when you're clear about your mission and then your vision, if the Lord gives you one, um, then people choose to opt in or out. Right. And a lot of people opted out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people opted out when uh, uh, the mission was clarified. Right. A lot of people opted out when the vision was stated. And then a lot more people left when the vision was implemented. Mm-hmm. A lot of people loved the idea of the vision, but when they saw the cost and what would have to be sacrificed to get to the vision, they're right. like, I'm out. Yeah. So when you're clear, it allows you in good conscience to say yes and no. Mm-hmm. And also it stops people from being angry three, four, five years later because you lied or weren't very clear. Mm-hmm. So clarity is your friend, but the difference is, and I just want to pause here before you get to cultural stuff, is um, you know you've got God's backing on this. Yeah. And not in arrogance, God's with me and he's not with you. It's not even that. It's just like, we have to go here. It's just an assurance. It's it's this deep-rooted assurance of, yeah, when I, as a site pastor in my role, when I have to say like, hey, no, we're doing this instead of that, it's this like deep-rooted assurance that like, okay, that might be painful for, you know, my Enneagram 2 heart. Yeah. It might be painful, but but I know that God has called us to this uniquely at our church. And so that allows me to have my yeses mean yes and my noes mean no. Yeah. And it narrows stuff and it allows people to say yes or no. And it's true. There's a grieving process. Even Mm -hmm. uh, after the pandemic, we had people leave Sanctus, join other churches, amazing people. And when we really interviewed them, like, I just really miss what church was seven years ago. Yeah, And it's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's just a clear thing. But beyond like, um, you know, mission and vision and goal setting and where's the mountain, Mm -hmm. Then there's the feel of the place, right? not just the destination of the place. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've, I've actually not seen many churches do a lot of thinking about cultural visions. Yeah, I've seen a lot of destination stuff. Totally. And so, uh, you know, we talked about this in episode one. I'll do it really quickly again. You and I are help leading a church of thousands of people in five locations on the east side of Toronto. Toronto is the most multicultural city on earth, yep. fourth, largest, fourth largest in North America. We have rural, urban, and and suburban sites, yes, which makes life even more interesting. We have 55 nations and they are distributed differently at different sites. Yes, it's so true. So <laughs> multiculturalism and expectations and we've got different ages and stages and all that. And so one of the questions we asked was from scripture, what do we want to look like and feel like as we move towards the destination? Yeah. And there was some prayer to this too, actually. But the thing we really landed on was Acts 13. Mm. And Acts 13 to me is one of the best cultural descriptions of a local church that actually summarizes, by the way, everything we love in this church. Mm. 
uh, and what we feel we're called to. And actually, I would say this almost bleeds into common faithfulness, a mm-hmm. lot of it. So I'm just going to take a moment to read it. Acts 13.1, at the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And I always, when I preach this, I say, you got to like pause in the list. Some preachers know where I'm going with this. They're yep. like, yeah, yeah, I've done this. Because, you know, Saul and Barnabas who... Saul was murdering Christians and now is a leader with Barnabas. But then you got Simon called Niger. He, that's a Latin name because of his skin color. So he's African in origin. Lucius is a common Roman name, but he's from Cyrene. So he's actually North African. He's probably from modern day Libya. Mannion, who was the foster brother of Herod. That's the Herod from the Christmas story who tells the wise men, go find Jesus because I'm going to kill the kids. Diverse is an understatement. Yeah, he's the same guy who cuts John the Baptist's head off, you know, with all the weird Swell. sexual drunk stuff. Like... That's the church leadership. Yeah. And you're just like, you want to see the revolutionary power. And Antioch, by the way, is very much like Toronto, Mm -hmm. very multicultural, cosmopolitan. And by the way, if you're listening in a small rural environment in Canada or the States or England, you're like, I can't relate to this. Actually, you can because of the internet. Mm. you might not experience this on the ground, but you're connected globally to this. Yeah. So it's true. So you got all these people being together, but then it's Acts 13 too. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, prompting. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them. So first of all, I always say this, when you do the exegetical work here, worshiping has a lot of, Uh, has a really strong punch. Mm. It's a term that's almost exclusively used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the LXX, the Septuagint, for priests doing work in the Jewish temple. Mm. So what's so wild and revolutionary is it's actually saying Christians who are Jews and non-Jews, who used to be enemies, who are now literally just praying and singing and worshiping using spiritual gifts like teaching and prophecy, suddenly are priests in the new temple. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, (laughs) but really epic. And what's wild is in this moment of fasting and praying, so notice this, in a place where spiritual disciplines are being used to listen Mm -hmm. and spiritual gifts are being used to hear and speak, in that moment, the Holy Spirit says... I'm going to tell you the will of Jesus, the Lord of the church. Mm. And this is, I want your two best leaders, your two most anointed leaders to leave this epic church. Mm. And, and by the way, um, we do a lot of work with this. Paul is like probably the best example, theologian, visionary, church planting, all the things. And Barnabas is like uber pastor, encourager, teacher. So I'm going to take your best leader, strategist, theologian, and your best shepherd, encouraging teacher, I'm going to remove both of them at once. That makes no strategic, logical sense Mm -hmm. if you approach mission and vision and strategy from a human perspective. Exactly. So they leave and, and Again, this is just this uh, incredible thing. And this is what we basically said to our church. And we preach it all the time. I'm going to read it. I said, Antioch is our archetype or our flavor, what we call our cultural vision. Strong teaching, a place of influence for the kingdom in its own region and beyond, spiritual disciplines, mutual submission, strong leadership, growing in cultural diversity, all the spiritual gifts at the center of serving, sensitivity to the Spirit's leading, prompting, planning, the staying and going of leaders as the spirit moves. This is the type of church God is calling us to be. This is our God-given, we say, flavor Mm -hmm. rooted in God the Father's calling, the work of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the way we talk about this in public and then also behind the scenes is our mission is clear. Yeah. To glorify God by enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why we exist. Our 
specific assignment, our vision, is to become a regional church, but it's now a missional church. There's a Mm -hmm. reason why we've changed that. Of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. And then our cultural vision that allows us to evaluate how we're dealing with staffing and gifts and listening and the coming and going of leaders is rooted in Acts 13. Mm -hmm. Those become the three um, poles that define how we function uh, as a church. And notice two of them are rooted out of prompting. Mm. One of them is rooted in common faithfulness Mm. and it affects everything we do. So for everyone who's listening today, (laughs) everyone who's trying to digest this right now, we see in Antioch, we see a prompting that doesn't make sense. Right. Why would you send your two best leaders? If the church is thriving, why would you send them out? Almost revival-like Antioch, yeah. And then we have your own personal experience of... You know, I don't want to go. I don't want to hear this. Okay, 10,000. What do you mean? Like vision that doesn't make sense the first time it's uttered. Yeah. For everyone who's listening and who's either like at the beginning of this process process and is going to be like, okay, I want to, I want the prompting part before I get to the planning. So I'm going to start to implement that. Or someone who's just had a prompting that they're scared of or yeah. doesn't make sense. Like, how do you speak to that? How do you, how do you make that make sense? And what do you do in that moment? Yeah. So we talked about in episode one, a few things. So I'm going to bring it back. Number one, uh, common scripting is incredibly important for your church organization or whatever you lead. So you have to have language around common faithfulness and unique assignment. If that doesn't even exist, you're already going to speak Greek to someone who speaks Latin. Like yeah. you're already going to have trouble. Number two, just because you heard something doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So let's just like, you know, we always have a joke here. Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it, you know, I watch too much Netflix and Mm -hmm. it's in my head. Or is it the tacos or butter chicken from last night? Fill in your favorite food, hummus, you know, whatever. (laughs) So so we don't always say, oh my gosh, I heard something. It's got to be from the Lord. We have seen so many craziness. And, and by the way, like if you take time to read our material, if you go back and listen to the sermon, you'll see how it's tested again and again. Yeah, I think that testing piece is a huge part huge, of the conversation. Uh, huge. How the elders prayed with me, how people evaluated my own, you know, my own motives. Is this John just wanting a large church? And by the way, it mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, Even how the gifts too, like gift of faith. Like I, I feel like you talk about that. In well, bit. yeah. Like I don't have the gift of yeah. faith, uh, which is like, What? I do not have the gift of faith. And by the way, the gift of faith isn't like, uh, I always say this, about the, the spiritual gift of, we all have faith, salvific faith. We're called to grow in faith, which is a different form of faith. But we do not have all the spiritual gift of faith. The spiritual gift of faith, someone, they're like oxygen bringers in the room. Mm. And they're just like, God can do anything. They have no problem with the idea of God doing anything. And like, everyone's like, here's the Gantt charts. And here's this. And they're like, God can do anything. But it's not just God can do anything. They know out of the 10 things, God's going to do that thing. Yeah. And what's interesting, during one part of the journey for me, my wife has the gift of faith. And the former um, guy who led with me before Sam, who's here now, was mm-hmm. with me. He had the gift of faith. So the Lord tells me this is tested. We publicly say it. I'm terrified. All these people are angry at me. I'm scared. You know, I have attachment issues, which we'll talk about in another thing. So I'm already <laughs> upset and angry and sad. And my wife is like, well, did God say it or not? I'm like, yes. She's like, well, then do the dishes because he's going to do it. Praise <laughs> the Lord. I'm like, no gift of mercy in my house, by the way. I just want to say that. 
And so, so it has to be tested. And so if you think you have a prompting, you have to start asking, does it contradict scripture? Yeah. How, who, in what community are you testing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have people in your life that who can speak real truth into your life, yeah. even though it's difficult? Um, if you think God spoke to you and there is no one else agreeing with you, I'd have lots of red flags. Yeah. Um, but this has been done, and this is, by the way, why we're doing this podcast in this environment. We've been working this out since 2005. Right. And, and there are multiple iterations, but the same core. Yeah. And it's been tested again and again. But if the Lord has spoken, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the scriptures, much of the time, if you notice, especially if to leaders, God tends to give the destination without the journey. Mm. Noah, go build this boat. Uh, Abraham, this land. Right, all this yeah. this keeps happening, and then he gives very little information about the middle. Yeah, he just gives the end. Now, just because God speaks and vision is implemented, does not mean that it will happen. Mm-hmm. Because remember, you know, I think Moses says in Deuteronomy, "You people have prevented me from going into that place." Mm. Now, he also sinned with anger. Yeah, but the people didn't want to go. Yeah. So, just because God given uh, vision is enacted, does not mean it will happen. But that also doesn't mean it was not given from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the testing question, the gifts uh, matter. And I mean, in my life, there's some spiritual gifts that allow me to hear quite clearly. Yeah. But it's also confirmed, not perfectly, yeah. because again, this is not scripture, but time and time again. What we're saying in this part of the podcast, if you're a leader, the question is not, have you had a prompting? Have you even asked? Yeah. See, I don't think most people ask with any expectation or they don't know how to ask, which gets back to, do you know how to use spiritual disciplines and spiritual mm-hmm. gifts, which is a different podcast. But like, is anyone even asking? Yeah. And if the answer is God is silent, get on to common faithfulness. Yeah. And praise the Lord and he'll bless you. But if he does give a vision, then, and it's tested, do not be ashamed. You know, uh, a personal anecdote. I was terrified to say the word 10,000 in a Canadian context for a long time. And um, I was on Aruba, in Aruba on vacation with my family. And I was walking at night by myself. And the Holy Spirit said, John, why have you not said 10,000? And I listed everything. If we say it, people are going to leave. And they're going to think we just want to be a big American you know, church. And I listed all this. And he said, did I give it to you or not? And I said, yes. I, I said, Lord, I still don't know honestly if this is the fish tacos or not. And I don't trust myself. So I said to him, I need to see one other leader that actually put a number in a vision statement. Mm. Yeah. I need, I, you know, so what I tend to do on vacations, I read biographies. As one does. Yes. Well, I, yeah. Okay. We won't <laughs> talk. Yeah. I read a ton of biographies and that year I was reading Spurgeon's biography <clears throat> and then I was reading a biography um, on Rick Warren. So, okay. Interestingly enough, I think it was Spurgeon who sent Rick Warren's grandfather to the United States. <laughs> so there's a little connection, weird. And no matter your views on Spurgeon or Rick Warren, fine. Interestingly, so the next day after that prayer, I in that prayer time, I opened up the next chapter and it was at the inception point of Saddleback. And I know there's a lot of controversy right now about Saddleback. Right. Just don't tune me out, please. Just tune in, tune in, tune in, please. And he just basically said, oh, the Lord has asked us to plant in Southern California in Orange County. And he inserted a number in his vision statement. And I, it, was, it was 12 hours later. Wow. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then I remember getting online. The internet was terrible, trying to find if that was still there. And it was still there. And I was like... 
Oh, well, I was like, wow. crap. Now, you know, so I came back and that's when we publicly talked about it. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it's, it's a good way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's all, there's always just that, that fear around vision, but I think that it is interesting kind of, kind of tying back to our spiritual gifts conversation and how the Lord surrounded you with people who have the gift of faith. And even to what our staff team spiritual gifts are, like the people who are on our senior leadership team, the people who you're testing these promptings with, having different gift mix and how that really does just kind of... Um, yeah, it really gets through is, yeah, is this my agenda? Is right. this my own personal preference? Is right. this the tacos from last night? Like right. it helps distill it down to, and, and then it gives you confidence in it. Well, I think, and, and that's probably a good place to transition as we near the end, um, confidence. So we have confidence that common faithfulness, God will always honor. And that's great. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, you know, I lead a church of 50, 70 people. Am I being faithful? Yes. Big churches are not more spiritual than small churches. Actually, in this moment, I think people prefer small churches yeah, it's true. <laughs> to big churches. It depends on the, you know, the moment. Here's what I just want to say about this, though. Uh, to us, our size and shape is rooted in a vision that was given by the Spirit. Yeah. And so there's a confidence to that when things are really difficult. So a lot of churches during COVID, I mean, a lot of them closed, but a lot of churches felt um, uh, rootless because they, and we did, I mean, COVID for us was awful. Yeah. I mean, that could be three podcasts <laughs> on how bad it was uh, leading a large church in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrible experience. Um, but what was one, one thing that was so interesting for me, and I think for our team, but me specifically, was all through COVID, I kept saying to our team, the vision has not changed. God knew this was coming. He didn't go, oh, no, COVID's here. Yeah. He, we knew. Shoot, what are we going to do? do? Our, our common faithfulness did not change and our vision did not change. Yeah. And actually, COVID allowed us actually to hijack some moments to actually make our cultural vision even stronger. That's actually something we grew out of. Yeah. Uh, out of the. Totally. Out of it. And that, that's incredible. But I think the perseverance connection. Yeah. Is it allows you to keep going in a straight line or a mm -hmm. long line in the same direction for a local church. Totally. And we, you know, I said to the board during COVID, uh, is this vision for John or is this vision for the church? Yeah. I said, what happens when I leave? Suddenly does it die? And they wrestled through, is this a John? Just because John received it, does this mean it is John's? Yeah. And what was really profound in that moment with the elders is they went, actually, no, if you use the biblical analogy, Moses was given the prompting for the promised exactly. land, but Joshua actually completed it. So even on a strategic level, in a leadership transfer level, when the mission is clear and the vision is clear and the inception point is clear and the cultural vision is clear, it doesn't mean it has to be contained to that leader. Yeah. The other thing that's really good is if that time comes to an end, people don't go, oh my goodness, we failed. Then it's like, do you have a new assignment? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the old manna, new manna, mm. old wineskins, new wineskins thing. You're going to be a church that's 120 years old. And you've done common faithfulness, and there was a moment in your history where the Lord spoke profoundly. Mm -hmm. But wonder if you ask again, mm -hmm. or you could be. It's funny how many mega churches I hang out with in the United States, and though they're large, they're large in common faithfulness, but not in unique assignment. Yeah. And them wrestling through, and if the Lord speaks, and wonder if it threatens all the structures we've built. Right. Really intriguing. So fascinating.
You touched on this a little bit with just COVID being one of the hardest parts of this mm. uh, and one of the hardest things you face. But where did you personally, but also our church, like really have to persevere in this process? Yeah. So I'll just uh, say two things. Uh, number one, uh, it's, it's funny, you know, I went back and I've listened to multiple vision talks I've given since 2005. Mm-hmm. I, I have them all. Like I, I pre-script most of my sermons. And um, sometimes you never celebrate wins in an organization because you just keep going to the next thing right. or you forget. And a lot of water has passed under the bridge since 2005. A lot of people, a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, we've probably done 80 to 90% of what we've said we would do yeah. through those years. When you're in a long-term place and you do not keep changing because a new conference comes out mm-hmm. or a new book comes out, totally, but you actually keep working towards that thing, it builds trust, yep. it builds confidence, and it allows you to stay longer than you naturally would. And I don't mean overstaying. Um, there are too many leaders that overstay, mm-hmm. and that's just true. Um, every leader every year should say, Lord, do you want me to stay or go? Yeah. Uh, that, that should be, uh, we should not be afraid for that conversation mm-hmm. uh, at all. That's very important. But what's so intriguing is on a board level, on a staff level, on a congregation level, even new people join us. They're like, what type of church is this? We're like, well, you sure we want to join? They're like, yeah, yeah, the preaching's pretty good in the worship. We're like, no, 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 10,000, what? And oh, prompting planting, what? And spiritual gifts, what? Like, if you're joining the family, this is how we function. You know, we eat like this, we don't eat like that. Um, I think uh, that allowed uh, us, there was an internal strength that was given by the spirit that allowed us to keep going in the same direction. Totally. Uh, during COVID, it really got tested. Yeah. Um, and it attests to that. Uh, yeah, it really did for all of us. And living in Toronto, we experienced five earthquakes, not one. We had uh, some of the longest lockdowns in the world. Right. Uh, we were almost two and a half years off and on. I was with some Americans last week. I was speaking in Nashville and their, their longest lockdown was nine months. I was like, I don't even understand what you're saying. And they're like, we don't understand what you're saying. Anyway. We were in lockdown so, for three years. Yeah, yeah. So two, two and a half years of that. And then, you know, um, the whole conversation about race was yeah. massive because we're the most multicultural city on earth. And we tried our best and did some great things and difficult things. That happened. And then a very significant megachurch in Toronto collapsed mm-hmm. during uh, COVID because the leader had done some inappropriate things. But then it got... Bl- so we even had you know staff saying, I don't even know if big church is even godly. I think right. some people even left because of that. Yeah. So you had that stuff going and on. And it was neighboring. Like it was oh, so close. Oh, no, all around us. Theological third cousins. But, yeah. you know, is big dangerous is sort of the, yeah. right? Then you had all these leaders falling globally all over the place and people then dividing over vaccines yes. and government interference, which we faced head on. With, yep. And lots of people disagreed with where we landed uh, on both sides. But the point was in the middle of all of that, um, Mission, vision, and a culture archetype didn't change. Mm. So that, I think, is a long-term perspective yeah. that brings health and life. And it also allowed us to persevere. Mm. And so I think the invitation for all these people listening, yeah. you might be an Anglican leading a community, like, I don't know, somewhere in England. You might be someone in Germany. I don't know. People listen to us all around the world. No matter where you are in the States, Canada, rural, urban, suburban, no matter the cultural makeup of your church, the theological bias, the invitation we're giving you is to take seriously Jesus's model and how that model affects especially vision and cultural archetyping. Ask, be clear with your people, and then move forward 
I would say move forward directly and clearly. And we all know this, and this is more like on the basic leadership stuff. Listen, after the vision is given, the prompting is done, then bridges do have to be built. You have to build plants. Yeah. I'm like, we're going to reach 10,000. And everyone's like, yeah. You know, how? How? And I'm like, it's not 10,000 seats in an auditorium. Like, it's not that. But it's yeah. like, oh, so here's how we're going to do this. And maybe, a, sorry, this is what pastors do. My other last thought is. <laughs> is and it's I think, your podcast. Yeah, I, no, 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 no. It's ours. But it's just to say this is really important. Strategies aren't mission and strategies aren't vision. Yeah. Strategies um, are, Dave used to say this all the time when he was here, if we're going to drive to Vancouver, if we're going to go to Vancouver, are we going to drive, are we going to walk, are we going to fly or do all three? That's all strategy. Yep. And so if you in your congregational life use the same God-like language about strategies, you'll lose. Yeah. Because then people will say, well, you changed the strategy. So obviously you didn't hear from the Lord and you lied. Versus alpha is a strategy for evangelism. Multi-site is a strategy for church growth or or for accommodating growth. Great. Those can change at any time. So mission is global and never changes. Visions are bred. They have shelf life. Cultural archetypes have cultural overtones, but they need to be biblically rooted. And strategies are up for grabs every single year. If you can help your people know that and be clear about that, there'll be a lot more unity. That doesn't mean everyone's going to come along for the ride. Lots are going to leave, but at least you are clear. That's probably a good way. I think that's a great way to end. Awesome. We want to thank you for listening uh, in today or watching somewhere around the world to the Perseverance Podcast. Again, we'd love you to like this, link into this, to share this with others. We always say you want to check out our staff at sanctuschurch.com, also johnthompsonresources.com. We've written all sorts of books, including Perseverance, which is actually (laughs) interesting on this topic, but actually a lot more than this. So hopefully it's helpful. And uh, we look forward to talking again as we get into interesting so other stuff where our discipleship model is based on guaranteed encounter and not classes, which Ange and I are going to have a great conversation because we both grew up in a Baptistic context. That's amazing. So we're going to have that chat next. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you during the next episode. Bye.